Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be teaching out of the book of Genesis. We're going to continue our study tonight in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 42. We're moving into... Uh, well, we're already into it, but we'll continue to be here in the latter part of Genesis into uh, very heavy narrative. We will cover tonight two chapters, um, and we're going to see over the next couple of weeks a similar theme is going to continue to pop up as we make our way towards the conclusion of the book of Genesis in chapter 50. Um, and that's the case for a lot of Genesis, especially as you go from gener- generation to generation, you see a lot of the same lessons learned. A lot of the same mistakes made, same lessons learned, and goes to another generation, and that says something a little bit about us uh, as, as uh, human beings, as, uh, as fallen creatures, but uh, blessed with the redeeming grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We, we tend to follow those same patterns, and we're going to see a little bit of that uh, here tonight, I think, as we get into this portion of Scripture. So we're picking back up here. Of course, Joseph is, is in Egypt, and... Uh, where we concluded last time is Joseph has now uh, risen to a position of significant power. He's essentially second in command in all of Egypt uh, through a series of events uh, ordained by God. Uh, Joseph went from a place where he was literally in a pit, in a prison. Uh, He was forgotten about. And it came a time when Pharaoh, because of a dream, needed an interpretation. It was remembered that there was this man in prison Uh, who could interpret dreams, and Joseph was taken uh, so quickly out of prison, and he was cleaned up, and he was brought before Pharaoh, and he gave a good interpretation of the dream with such clarity, with such specificity. Uh, It truly impressed Pharaoh, who then said, we need a godly man uh, who's able to carry out this task, because of course Joseph made recommendation that because of seven years of plenty that would come to the land, followed then by seven years of famine, that they needed to prepare, they needed to set aside, they needed to work hard to prepare for the famine, and Joseph was chosen to oversee that effort, uh, literally put into the second in command over Egypt. And so that's where we left him. And now as we come into chapter 42, we're going to see now that the famine has arrived. Uh, Seven years of plenty have passed. Famine has overtaken the land. And uh, we're going to now see Joseph's brothers make their way to Egypt, which of course will bring with it a fulfillment of a dream that happened long ago in Joseph's life. And so uh, let's go ahead and read together beginning in chapter 42. Let's read verses 1 through 6 together. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, Lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. If you would agree with me once more in prayer. Father, we recognize here that this is your word. We're grateful for it. Lord, as we gather here tonight, what a privilege it is for us to hold the word of God in our hands to have your Holy Spirit, Lord, dwelling within us, to give us understanding of your word such, Lord, that we can learn from it, apply it to our lives. It can bring transformation, sanctification, Lord, in us. And that's what I pray would occur here tonight. That, Lord, we'd hear from you, we'd recognize in your word the lessons of those who have gone before us. Uh, we'd receive them, Lord, apply it. And so, Lord, what we need here tonight, both individually and corporately, Lord, may you do that work, we pray. Love you, Lord, and thank you for this time and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, the seven years of plenty have passed, and in this first uh, in these first two verses, we get the sense here that uh, the brothers, Joseph's brothers, Jacob's sons, are sort of in a place where they're kind of standing around looking at each other, like, well, what do we do now? We're out of food. 
And we're going to see later on in the chapter here that, that Jacob has continued to be prosperous. They seem to have uh, a good bit of, of money still, but they're out of food. The famine has just is taken over everything. And so Jacob's looking at him, he's, he's saying, just stop standing around. I've heard there's grain in Egypt. You guys got to go. You got to go get this taken care of. So in verse 3, we see that Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. And so everything that Joseph had done there in Egypt seems to be coming to pass. He'd done his job well. He had stored up grain such that from all over the land, people could come and they could buy from, from them there in Egypt. And so this was well thought out. Joseph continues to be very blessed by God. He's a disciplined man. We're going to see that as well in this account here tonight. But Jacob, it says, did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. And so the, the brothers, they go to buy grain, but Benjamin stays behind. Now, Scripture makes mention here that Jacob did not send Benjamin. And, and it gives us insight that he's concerned that something might happen to him. Benjamin, we know, is the remaining son of, uh, of Rachel. And, and so in the absence of Joseph, in the loss of Joseph, from Jacob's perspective, he's clinging to this son. Joseph very much was a favorite of his, and he doesn't want to lose him. That, that becomes very clear here. And, and, and it's interesting because what we're going to see, too, throughout really the remainder of, of the book of Genesis is that there does not seem to be any longer resentment on the part of the other brothers towards their youngest brother. Now, Benjamin, you could say, maybe isn't going around telling about all these dreams that he has where his brothers are bowing down to him, but it certainly seems that there is an element of favoritism that still exists that just doesn't seem to bother these brothers. Now, some of it's speculation on our part, but we certainly get the sense that there is some growth that's happened on the part of these brothers over the years. But what we also gain insight to here, and, and it's not unnatural, of course, for a parent, especially a parent who's lost a child, to be protective. But I think this starts to give us a little insight into where Jacob is at as well, and we'll see this more a little bit later, that Jacob, he's operating from a place of fear a little bit. Jacob, we'll see, needs to learn to trust God. And, uh, and that's going to become clear here in these two chapters. Now again, Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold all the people of the land. So once again, Joseph has been very successful in what he set out to do. And his brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Fulfillment of God's promises. Fulfillment of Joseph's dreams. You remember, it's back in, in chapter 37 in uh, in 37, there at the beginning of the chapter, and this happens in a few different dreams, I'll just give this account. It says, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. This was the first dream that he would have of his brothers bowing down to him. They didn't care for this dream all that much. He was already the favorite. They resented him for this. And now he's walking around thinking he's better than they are. So, of course, that precipitates the plan to uh, kill him. Then at least one of them had enough wherewithal to say, we probably shouldn't kill our brother. We'll just go ahead and sell him into slavery. That's a good alternative, right? And, and we'll see that come back around here too in this account. But now here, here they are. This is 22 years later. Over two decades have gone by. And now all of a sudden, here's Joseph. And his brothers come and they begin to bow down to him. This is a fulfillment of, of, of a promise. And, and I think for us, it would be difficult, of course, for us to look at this situation and go, yeah, I remember when that happened to me. But in some respects, it does. 
Sometimes God in His kindness allows you to see the fruition of what He's promised, doesn't He? Sometimes when you have the opportunity to look back and He gives you enough wherewithal to go, Lord, I remember. I remember when you encouraged me with this promise. I remember when this was a desire you gave me in my heart. Now for Joseph, uh, this was no doubt less a surprise and more just a long-awaited fulfillment. And I will see here shortly that he begins to remember. So it, Scripture does suggest that it wasn't at the forefront of his mind. But, but for here, he, he, after all this experience uh, with and, and confidence interpreting dreams, that he had perhaps had speculated a time when this would come to pass. Now for us, differently than Joseph, it can be more surprising when we experience something like that. Yet very encouraging to look back and to see God's hand at work. And I would encourage you to think back. The psalmist encourages us to do as much. Lord, I remember. Over and over and over again, we see David say, Lord, I remember. I remember what you've done, Lord. I remember how you've moved in my life. I remember how you've taken care of me. I remember the promises that you made. It's important. It's good for us to remember what God has done. To consider how, especially when he brings us to a place where we go, Lord, this is what was on my heart for years. And Lord, you've done it. And then when we get the chance to look back and we can start to go, and Lord, your hand was on me the entire way. Because in the moment, and we'll see this happen certainly with his brothers and with Jacob, in the moment sometimes we can go, Lord, everything seems a mess. Nothing seems to be coming together. But then we, you know, time goes by and, and, and God's promises are fulfilled and we can then have the, the wonderful perspective of, of, of fulfillment looking back and say, Lord, you, you were there. You were caring for me. You were providing for me. So Joseph, verse 7, saw his brothers and he recognized them but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? Now, we're going to see that Joseph is actually speaking to them through an interpreter. So it's not even Joseph speaking directly to them. He's speaking in a foreign language, and an interpreter is then speaking in Hebrew. And so this idea of roughly, some people have suggested that that simply means that it's in a different language, but we'll see elsewhere, and some of your translations may even translate this as harsh, I do think he is speaking somewhat abruptly to them. You know, this isn't just uh, a different language, it is a different language, and he's saying, where do you come from? Who are you? And they said, from the land of Canaan, to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And again, it's been a long time, right? It's been over 20 years. If I pulled up a slideshow of all of our photos from 20 years ago, might there be a little difference? For some, you aged well. For others, you're like, who's that, right? I know my hairline was like here. I see certain pictures from like high school, and I'm like, what, what happened? It's like, it's moving back, right? And we look different. Not to mention, Joseph is fairly embedded into Egyptian culture at this time, so he likely looks Egyptian. Uh, he likely has the makeup on. He's probably got a good tan. If it's anything like the movies, um, some of you are probably picturing exactly what he looks like in this moment, right? Based off of uh, that movie. But uh, what's that? What am I? What movie am I thinking of? Thank. Is it? Is it that? Prince of Egypt? Yeah. 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 Um, so. Uh, he looks different. They don't recognize him. They're not expecting to see him. There's certainly, their last memory of him was we sold this guy into slavery. He's not the guy in charge here right now, right? So it shouldn't be too odd that he doesn't uh, uh, recognize them. So they don't recognize him. And, and Joseph remembers the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. So he's saying, they're coming in to check out Egypt. We're very prominent. We have the food, we have the resources, but yet we're experiencing the famine as well. They're coming to check things out and see if they can uh, overtake us. Now, I don't know that he's really thinking this. What gives way in the following chapters suggests that it's, it's not what he's thinking, but rather it's a, it's a, it's a ruse of sorts. It's a way for him to, to keep them uh, where he wants them. And they said to him, verse 10, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. So their rebuttal is, look, we're, we're, just, we're just a few guys that have come to get food for our family. We're all brothers. We belong to, to one guy, and, and he sent us here. 
And he said to them, verse 12, No, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. So here the situation is escalating, and they likely wonder why. They've got to be thinking here, what did we do? We're just going on an errand, (laughs) and this doesn't seem to be going well. So this will begin for them an entire experience wherein truly their time in Egypt, up really through the end of, of the account of Genesis for the most part, their time in Egypt is going to be a strange one. Things are going to be happening that they're going, what is this and why is this happening? And they've, they've got to be thinking, man, Egypt is a weird place. Okay? And so verse 13, they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man, in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. you got to hand it to these guys. This is a good bit of honesty on their part here in this initial introduction. They're definitely giving him more information than probably is what, what's warranted. The fact that they're recognizing we have a brother who's, who's no more. Now, again, for the sake of context here, I've mentioned this already, but let's consider what Joseph is going through here in this moment. He's learning about his family for the first time in 22 years. This is a big deal. Some of you know or have experiences, right, where you learn about extended family or you have an encounter with extended family many years after the fact. That can be an emotional experience. Moreover, he hears that his father is alive, his younger brother alive this is to be pretty overwhelming for joseph now what comes next here is certainly within joseph's authority to do and no doubt he's perceived as wise by those who work for him we don't know whether this for joseph is a disciplined approach if in this moment he's thinking so quickly and on the spot that he kind of i know how i'm going to navigate this situation or if there's an, an element of just anger coming through and, and man, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get them. There's probably a, a mix of emotions here. So what he does, we see here in verse 14, Joseph said to them, It is as I spoke to you, saying, You are spies. So he's not relenting from this. In this manner you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother... And you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison three days. Whoa. This is a bit of a turn of events for them. They came to buy grain, now they're being thrown in prison. Part of Joseph, and I, I you know, I don't want to suggest anything too poorly of him. It seems that he is a man who's described as having upright character throughout Scripture. But I can't help but think to Joseph, he's thinking, yeah, how's that feel? <laughs> right? Like, well, what's up now? And so they didn't expect this. Um, but here's what we need to, for the sake of our own application as we look at this account here, because, it, it, you know, this is one of those stories in the Bible that certainly we know and we can read and, and we can envision things. But it's also a story in the Bible that should prompt us to go, what would I do? Or what, what about times when I'm saying, man, all I was doing was going on an errand, and now this, right? Times when you think, man, circumstances that I'm experiencing now were not what I expected. Has that ever happened to anybody? <laughs> anybody heard me recently go, I just wanted to buy a building. <laughs> Lord, we just wanted to buy a building. Right? Yet, all of a sudden, all these different things are happening that we're going, Lord, what is, what is this? And this is unexpected. And this, and this is hard. And this is frustrating. We've got to keep that in mind. I don't want you guys to hold on to that. Maybe there's even an experience. Maybe you're experiencing something now. Maybe you're coming out of one of those experiences. Maybe you're on the verge of going into one of those experiences. I want you to just hang on to that for a bit and, and just realize and say, okay, yes, sometimes Life is unexpected, right? As we continue on, then verse 18, Then Joseph excuse me, said to them the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. Now, we don't get a sense of the brothers' reactions here, but Joseph says that he fears Elohim. Okay? 
This should have an effect on them. This moment here, it just kind of goes right on to what Joseph's instructions are as he takes them out of prison. Because he's going to come to them and he's going to say, okay, here, here's what's up. This is what we're going to do. You're going to go do this and so on and so forth. We'll see that here in a moment. But he says, you're going to do this and live because I fear God. I fear the same God that you fear. That's interesting. This ought to catch their attention no differently than it would for us if we find ourselves in a bit of a precarious situation and perhaps the aggressor says sort of, this is how this is going to go. You're going to be okay because I love Jesus. <laughs> you might be inclined to go, oh, well, whew, praise the Lord. I'm in, I'm in better company now than what I was expecting. Okay, So here, Joseph, and I don't think intentionally here, but there's, there's some hints that are coming their way. And, we, and we, we should be comforted similarly uh, when we find that someone fears the God that we fear. In verse 19 then, here comes his inst- their instructions. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers, so now he's, he's appealing to what they've said, well, we're honest men. Okay, if you're honest, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. (laughs) She loved just how, here's what's going to happen, and you'll do this, and you'll do this, and it's all going to be okay, but if it's not, you're going to die. So Joseph is laying out here an ultimatum for them, and what he's saying is, you're going to leave a brother with me. Somebody's staying behind, and and then you'll go, and you're going to bring the youngest brother back. Now this too has to be confusing to them. Other than the fact that, okay, clearly this guy really thinks we're spies, and so he wants to get all of us in the same place so that he can deal with us. So here, then, he says, uh, you shall not die, and they did so. Verse 21, then they said to one another, we are truly guilty. So this is important here. Verse 21 is a bit of a, gives us insight here, and it becomes somewhat of a turning point. As they say to one another, we are truly guilty, concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Guys, this is the first time that we really get any insight into how the event went down. We know the specifics of what they did, selling him to the Midianite traders, and then he was taken into Egypt, but we don't have a sense in that moment of what was Joseph's demeanor. Here we get insight into the fact that he's pleading with us and we didn't see, we didn't care about the distress of his soul. Moreover, it has been 22 years of them having this in their minds. What did we do? And so now they've sought no doubt to try and just get on with life to sort of quiet the conviction that they were experiencing, the guilt that they were experiencing, but they've not forgotten what they've done. And we're going to learn more about the guilt that they've carried, but I want to tease this out a little bit as this sort of comes together. Verse 22, And Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you? Saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. Reuben, who was the one who did interrupt and disrupt the plan to kill Joseph, but seemingly went along with, uh, he's kind of absent for a period of time, but you get the sense here that, that he was pleased that they didn't kill his brother, but that he really didn't like the plan at all. But he does suggest early on, hey, how about we go this route and Now at this point, two decades later, you get a little bit of a sense of what their brotherly dynamic has probably been throughout the years as well. And now all of a sudden they're faced with a situation where they're thinking, man, we're in trouble. Maybe it's happened before this. Maybe certain circumstances before caused them to go, oh no, maybe this is now the time. We don't know that. What we know is here in this moment, according to the word here, is that they're finally at a place where they're like, man, we're done for. If we hadn't have done this, this wouldn't have happened. Reuben's saying, I told you guys. But what this does is it helps us to see the fact that there's heaviness upon them. There is guilt that they have carried to this point. Verse 23, but they did not know that Joseph understood them. For he spoke to them through an interpreter. And he turned himself away from them and wept. All these years, what had Joseph been thinking about his brothers? about that event, that time when he cried out to his brothers. Who knows what it is that he said to them? Don't do this to me. 
I love you. They didn't listen. How long had he carried this with him? What did he carry with him? What were his feelings? But now he sees his brothers before him. They've bowed down to them. He knows his dad's alive. His younger brother's alive. And he's now overheard them say, look guys, we were wrong. We were wrong. So Joseph has to turn away. He begins to weep. And it's amazing to me that Joseph maintains the discipline that he does under these circumstances. I can't imagine the emotion that he's experiencing. And so he sets out then to determine some things about his brothers. Wanting to know, I think, if they're changed men. And so we're going to see that Joseph is going to exercise great patience as he deals with his brothers. Then he returned to them again and he talked with them and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Now why do you suppose he took Simeon? What's that? Simeon, I, I believe the reason that he took Simeon was because he was the next in line in terms of age. Reuben would have been the oldest. And it would have made sense in this case to take the oldest brother. But Reuben was the one who had basically declared his innocence. Told you guys we shouldn't have done this. This should never have happened. Simeon was in on it though. And I speculate that that's why he takes Simeon. So he binds him, takes him, and Joseph gives a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. So now we see here that Joseph is he's demonstrating some kindness. He's demonstrating mercy, grace. He gives them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed, because you know it's a famine, they've got to feed the animals too along the way. At the encampment, he saw his money. And there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, My money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, What is this that God has done to us? Now we need to pause here for a moment because there's typically two reactions that happen to any one of us if we're leaving the grocery store and we get home and we open up our groceries and there's extra in there or even better yet, the, the money, the cash, if you even paid with cash, right? If it was something about it, or the receipt, you bought the receipt and you're like, well, wait a second. Hey, you didn't charge me for this. Two things happen. Either one, somebody goes, I gotta go tell them. Or the other person says, praise the Lord, <laughs> Right? This is awesome. Rarely, though, are you like, oh, no, <laughs> what has God done to us? Right? That, I, don't, I don't think that's typically the response. So what does this tell us about them? What, what, we're, what we're seeing here, and we saw it a little bit earlier, we see it here, and we're going to continue to see this. We're really going to see this all the way through chapter 50. It, this principle that is at work, as I said, through the end of the book, that unrepentant sin creates paranoia. That's a principle I want us to understand. If you're taking notes, write that down. Unrepentant sin creates paranoia. It creates fear. There's great freedom, isn't there, in a clean conscience? I remember in the days before I had surrendered my life to Christ, the, the B.C. days, Right, and and I wasn't like a, a wild child, but you know I I, I I did my share of pursuing the things of the world, and so here you know in the latter part of high school and going off to college, there was certainly elements that, by golly, it was just like yeah I don't want that part of my life to be on display. I'm going to try and keep that hidden from my parents, right? But then, I go off to school and I get radically saved there in freshman year of college. And all of a sudden, I mean, it's just everything in life is changing. And, and, and God is revealing all sorts of things. And he's, he's taking stuff out of my life that I thought, man, this is going to be hard. I mean, he's just like, boom, this is done. This is gone. And things in my life that I'm like, this has got to go. And i got to get rid of this. And, and I remember one of my first, it was, a, it was a fall trip home from school that year. And I got home and I remember just kind of, just sort of clearing out my, my room of everything that just had a memory of the world. Right? had a stereo in my car, too. It was a really loud stereo. Can you guys believe that about me? It had some, I mean, this thing would, like, shake the ground, right? This was, you know, this was the time. Uh, I, I'm getting rid of it. I'm like, sell it. It's gone. I don't need, you know, and, 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 and CDs, and you know what those are? And I'm like, it's, it's trash. I got to get all this stuff, right? It's just like, it's got to go. We were just cleaning house. And I remember when it was done, 
there was just this sense of like, oh, Lord, it feels good. And then to hear, you know, and then from, from my own mother to, to say like, hey, I'm going to go into your room or I'm going to clean your room or whatever. And it's like, go for it. Go check it out. Right? You go anywhere you want. And, and, and that's, that should be the freedom, right? But when it's not, when there's sin, when there's unrepentant sin, when there's things that are hidden, you're not an open book. You're not. And, and then, hey, I'm going to go into this area. <gasps> Wait a second. I've got to tidy up real quick. You know, wh- whatever that is, right? It's, it, it creates fear. And sometimes it's happening and we don't even know it. It's not that it's a literal physical object that's hidden somewhere. It's that there is sin hidden in your heart. And you, and you don't even know why you're doing some of the things that you're doing. But God in His kindness begins to reveal these things. But if you don't, if you hold on to it, if you don't repent of it, if you don't, if you don't seek to, to make it right, it begins to eat away at you. And I can't imagine the 20 plus years of what these men were experiencing. Then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan and told him all that had happened to them, saying, the man who is Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more. And the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. In this moment, Jacob's got to be thinking, what? Why did you tell him all of that? Then the man, the Lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me. So I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you and you may trade in the land. Then it happened as they emptied their sacks, because to this point only one of the brothers had opened their sack. I think it was about a six-hour journey uh, one one way, um, don't quote me on that for sure, but you know it's probably just one sack of feed was was necessary. And uh, surprisingly, each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. So here's fear again, because now it wasn't just, oh, maybe that was a, a, a mistake. He just overlooked that. No, it's there in all of them. So now they're freaking out. When we are right with the Lord, when we do not have unconfessed sin, when we're not harboring something, holding on to something, is there any reason to fear? Is there any reason to fear? Well, come on, guys, I need to hear it louder than that. No. Sometimes, guys, we need to say it out loud, too. We need to say, I do not need to be afraid. Do you need to fear? No, you don't. And, and, and listen, guys, This applies to many areas of life. There is a lot going on right now. You heard tonight amongst the prayer requests, things related to COVID. And I'm not going to go off about a bunch of stuff related to COVID, okay? Not that there's any opinions about that. But it's not just that. All the different things going on. Now there's all this nonsense about what... Nuke codes, and we were almost at nuclear, almost had nuclear war with China. If you haven't read that one recently, unless another general stepped in to take over, and again, some people are saying, "No, that never happened." And yes, it did, and all this stuff that could cause somebody to step back and say, "Wait a second, what? Pandemic, nukes, China? Does it make you afraid?" It should not. It shouldn't make you afraid. Now I realize I'm talking about global stuff that can sometimes cause fear. What about the things in our life? What about the things when at, at the end of the day, I'm like, I don't even care what's going on over there, but, but this situation in my life is causing anxiety. It's causing fear. The same principle applies. When we are in right standing with the Lord, when, when we are seeking Him, those who are called, who love Him, that we can trust that He's working all things together for good. That we can trust that even as hard as it is sometimes to, 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 to really lay hold of this, to say, man, to be absent in body is to be present with Christ. Therefore, what do I have to fear? To know my life is in the hand of the Creator God of the universe who loves me and loves those around me more than I ever could. And I could ever be, even begin to understand what reason do we have to fear?
None. Never. And so when we see fear, we need to recognize fear is not from God. He is not a God of fear. Does the Scripture say, yes, fear God? We're talking about a a different type of fear. There's no reason to fear. So when we see it, we need to be able to check ourselves to go, what's creating fear? What's causing this fear? And as we'll see here amongst these guys, uh, amongst the brothers, unrepentant sin was creating fear and anxiety. And what we'll see amongst Jacob is a lack of trust in God was creating fear. But all of them were afraid. So Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin? He's saying, what what, what else is going to come upon me here? And so he makes the statement, all these things are against me. And for us, as we have insight into this story, we can look at this and we can say, are they? Are they, Jacob? Are all things against you, Jacob? You see, Jacob is speaking in the flesh here. Scripture isn't referring to him as Israel in this moment. Oftentimes, that's a good indication. And I believe what's happening here is Jacob is taking his eyes off of God. And he's putting his eyes on his circumstances. And, and listen, let's not get, uh, we don't need to give the guy a hard time about it. He's lost one son. Now in his mind, he's lost another. And if they take Benjamin, whom he loves, he's likely to lose a third. And so he's, he's, he's rightfully so apparent who's going, this isn't a good scenario. But to make the declaration, all these things are against me, tells us clearly he's operating in the flesh. And sometimes this is how we feel, isn't it? Has anybody ever been in a situation where you just kind of think, everything is against me? Nothing's going right. We begin to speak in absolutes, don't we? We begin to use words like all and nothing and never. It's because we feel this way sometimes. But here's what we need to look at. And the same truth for Jacob is the same truth for us, is that for Jacob in this moment, the reality is is that he is about to experience one of the greatest things that's going to happen in his life. His life is actually is, is, is sort of just flying forward at a point that he's just going to be absolutely amazed and overwhelmed by what God is about to do. Now, we've got to be careful here for a moment because lest you think I'm going down some prosperity path and just say, hey, all you've got to believe is that your life is just about to become this or that. That's not biblical. But what is biblical is to, is to when we are in moments where we find ourselves going, Lord, everything feels like it's against me. Lord, nothing seems to be working right now. Nothing seems to be coming together the way that I expected it would. We need to be willing to take a step back and to go, okay, it, it, is, is my life right now in a place where man, I'm serving the Lord, I'm honoring the Lord, my heart is pure, my motives are pure, uh, there's no unconfessed sin in my life, I'm just seeking to serve the Lord, then we, in those moments, should be willing to go, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I, 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 I trust you. Your word tells me that you work all things together for good for those who love you and are called. And Lord, I know that you love me. And I know that you're in control and I know that your plan is perfect. And for us, knowing what's coming, that we can go, and Lord, I know that in Joseph's life, he got to a place where he was willing, or able, rather, to see and to know what you guys meant for evil, God meant it for good. God put me in this situation. It was his purpose, his plan. And so we too can take a step back and go, Lord, I don't know what's happening here. Everything seems to be against me, but Lord, you're bigger than all these things. And so I'm going to trust you. Now, it it can be that, but it can also be God's still at work, God's still moving, but like these brothers, maybe too, we need to be willing to go, Lord, would you search my heart? Would you search my heart and know me? Would you reveal what's going on in my heart? Is there, is there anything in here, Lord, that's not of you? Something I've been hanging on to? Is there unrepentant sin? I'm mindful of, of 1 John chapter 1. Uh, just read this section. It's beginning in verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, maybe that's where, maybe that's where we need to go. We know that uh, Jesus himself says to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, this is John 8, 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And guys, there, how do I phrase this? Sometimes, even when we least expect it, uh, the Lord can reveal something in us that's been there for a long time. And he says, it's this. I want this. Would you, would you surrender this to me? Because here's the thing, sin does not announce itself when it's taken up residence in your heart. It doesn't go, hey, I'm here, look at me. It, it makes its way in, and it begins to, to, to take root and, and to take you over. I mean, I, and I've I got be, to be always careful how you say some of these things, but much of my life has been characterized by pharisaical righteousness until I was... Until I was there in my freshman year of college, oh, I was a Christian. I was a good kid. Oh, I, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And, and, and many of you know this. And then I came to a place where the Lord showed me clearly, you draw near to me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And then even as a believer, and, and especially, you know, sometimes people say, no, not a pastor. No, especially as a pastor. Things that you can convince yourself because what, is Pharise- what, what, what do Pharisees do? Well, they become convinced of their own righteousness. Lord, but Lord, I do this, or I do this, or I do this. But he says, no, but look at your heart. I want that. Guys, we're never, ever at a place where we can just go, okay, I'm good. We always have to be mindful to, Lord, I want to abide in you. I want to be in you. I want to be right with you. I want to be pursuing you. Lord, I don't want anything in me that's not of you. Lord, would you reveal it to me? Would you show me? Are we willing to do that? I was in my devotional life this week and I needed it. And I was, I was just, I was, I was challenged in that moment to do a few things. One, that same grace that invaded my life when Jesus saved me and his Holy Spirit and dwelt me, to continue to allow that grace to invade every aspect of my life, even those areas that I had sort of said, no, not this, I'm closing this off. And be willing to say, Lord, your grace, as we see in James chapter 4, verse 6, you give more grace, and I need it. Lord, I need more grace. We see in verse 37, Reuben spoke to his father. And so now, they know, they know Jacob's upset. Jacob's in fear. He's not trusting God. Reuben there's probably a little bit of both here. And now he comes to speak to his father saying, and look what he says, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. So here Reuben's coming to his dad saying, look, we got to go. We got to get Simeon. And, and I get that you're upset, but fine. If he doesn't come back, kill my two boys. Are you kidding me, Reuben? What is wrong with you? You have terrible ideas, Reuben. Terrible ideas. And what kind of grandfather is going to be like, okay, yeah, I'll take my grandkids. You know, like that's going to make him feel better. But here's the other thing. Sin and unrepentance can disrupt right thinking. It rots the mind. Guys, it, it does, unrepentant sin does not just create fear and anxiety and paranoia, but it also messes with the way that you think. Because we're not walking in him, we're not abiding in him. And so we begin to do foolish things. We adopt an attitude of stinking thinking. In verse 38, But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he's left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. He says to Reuben, That was dumb, right? No, we're not doing that. And so we see here, Jacob, it's less about sin, and it's more about what he's trusting in. So for, for Jacob, lack of faith creates fear. Here's all the things that are going to happen, and maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, no, man, my heart is right with the Lord. I'm not, there's no unrepentant sin, but maybe you're one who you're, you're constantly going, but here's what's going to happen. Here's what might happen, and you're worrying. You're not allowing God to work in your life because you're saying, but what about this, and what about this, and what about this? We've got to trust. Chapter 43, and we're running short on time. It says, now the famine was severe in the land, 
came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt that their father said to them, go back, buy us a little food. So hunger is a good motivator. But Judah spoke to him saying, the man solemnly warned us. So here you can kind of hear Judah's tone as he's talking to his dad. He's like, dad, the guy told us. You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said, Why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? So now Jacob's almost moved to a place of mourning. I think here what Jacob is recognizing, he's called Israel here, as he's recognizing this is what's going to have to happen. But he's now sort of mourning what may be the loss of something. But they said, the man asked us pointedly. So they're saying, listen, he asked us specifically about ourselves and our family, saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words, could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? In verse 8, then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones, I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. Judah has enough sense to begin to make this happen, to come, come forth with kind of a good plan and to basically say here too, like, let's stop wasting time. Let's get this done. Now remember, Judah is one who was sort of mixed up in the nonsense at the beginning. So it seems like there's a good work that's happened in his life. But Jacob's struggling to to let go and to trust God. But he says in verse 11, And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Remember, it's a famine. So again, clearly here, there's still some resources available. Take double money in your hand. Take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise. Go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother in Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So here Jacob really comes to terms and he resolves to trust God. We see his demeanor change. We see his communication change. And we see here most importantly, verse 14, and may God Almighty, this is El Shaddai, give you mercy before the man. He's come to terms with what he needs to do, and he knows in this case, I can't control this. I've got to trust God. And so he's able to let his sons go in peace. We've got a little too much left for us to be able to get through it here tonight. <clears throat> we'll pick up here next week as we continue to see, and even as I mentioned through the next several chapters, their, their fear and their paranoia is not going to go away. The brothers in particular are going to experience sort of a roller coaster of emotions. Hey, wow, look at this. Everything's good. Oh, no, everything's bad. Hey, everything's good. Oh, wait, everything's bad. All the way until they get to that point where they're finally willing to go, look, we're sorry. So, a little bit of a spoiler alert as we get our way to chapter 50. These men are going to come to a place. They're going to come to a place where they finally are forced to go to Joseph and to say, Joseph, we're sorry. The problem is they end up doing it out of compulsion because dad's dead. And there's still this fear inside that now that he's gone, man, we're toast. And Joseph, who's their savior, the one that God appointed to provide for them, to care for them, is going to look at them and say, man, don't you know I already forgave you? I already did this. And the thing about unrepentant sin, we'll close on this, guys, and the things in our life that sometimes the Lord reveals even when we've been walking with him for a time, and, and, and you come to this place where you go, okay, okay, Lord, I get it. Then we can find ourselves going, but what, man, how do I do this? Or what, what do I do? Or, and it's there that God brings us back to the promise that I've already done it. There isn't anything for you to do. This sin in your life, it's already been crucified. When I said on the cross, it is finished, that's what I meant. It's finished. It's done. Scripture tells us He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so for each and every one of us, when you allow the Lord to search your heart and He reveals things there, all you need to do is to say, Lord, you already took care of this. By your grace, would you help me to just walk in victory? 
The work's already done, amen? And so let's not keep these things and allow fear and anxiety and paranoia or lack of trust, lack of faith to begin to overwhelm us, but instead go, Lord, you've already done the work. You've already taken care of it. All I need to do is trust in you. We're going to be in Romans 12 on Sunday. Aren't we excited? <laughs> yeah, there we go. I got a woohoo back there. Romans 12, 1 and 2. That maybe we come to a place where we go, okay, Lord, here's the altar. Here's my life. It's yours. You've already done the work. You've shown me such mercy. How could I, in view of such mercy, not give you my life? Right? We'll pick up here next week. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks, Lord, for your word. Uh, we give you thanks for you, what you've done, Lord, your Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised you, Lord Jesus, from the dead. You sent to us the helper, dwells within us, empowers us. At work, Lord, helping us to live a life that's pleasing to you. Lord, we thank you for that. Father, as we consider your word here tonight and in the days moving forward, help us, Lord, to meditate upon it. Help us to be a people who allow you, Lord, full access to search us, to know us, to see if, Lord, as your word says, there is any wicked way in us. To deal with that, Lord, and to lead us in the way everlasting. Lord, do that work. Reveal, Lord, expose, do the work that's necessary, but remind us in that, Lord, that there's no condemnation. Any condemnation, Lord, we experience is not from you, it's from the enemy. For those of us who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. The old is gone, the new has come, and so, Lord, help us to step into that the work that you've already done. Help us to walk in victory, Lord. May we not be a people who live in fear, Lord, because of unrepentant sin, lack of faith, but people who live boldly in the work that you've done, Lord. Do that in us, Lord, we pray. We love you, we praise you, we thank you, and we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you would like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.